You good? Yeah. Yay. We're recording. First episode. Okay. Um, I'm so excited. I'm very nervous. Welcome to The Body Pod. I'm Elena. And I'm Justine. This is a podcast where we talk to real people with real stories about their very real relationship with their bodies. We touch on diet culture, body acceptance, finding food freedom, and everything in between. So grab a cocktail or some snacks and join us here every other Tuesday for new stories, new topics, and a big dose of body love. So I feel like we both have known that we have our own stories with dieting, but we've kind of danced around it and we've never talked about it that much. Yeah, I'm excited to hear them more in detail. I mean, I know mine, of course, but I'm excited to share it and hear yours too. Well, first things first, um, for those of you listening, welcome to the Body Pod. This is one of our first episodes. We don't know which one is going to be first yet, either Elena's interview or mine. This is Justine speaking, by the way. But we wanted to start off our podcast by interviewing each other and sharing our stories because since the whole premise of the pod is talking to women about their journeys with their bodies, we thought it would be best to start with our own. Yeah, totally. So I don't know. Do we just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. Elena has volunteered to be our first interviewee. And when I say our first, I mean my first interviewee. So I guess I want to start with that main question, which is kind of when were you first introduced to diets? What is your first like memory of feeling the need to change your body? Yeah, I feel like I kind of like trickled into it. My first memory of knowing that diets were a thing was my freshman year of high school. I was in gym class, which was required. Ugh, I hated gym class. But we had this one unit where the gym teacher was like, go ahead and log everything that you eat and track the calories. And this was before apps and stuff. So I don't even remember how we tracked the calories. What year was that? That was like, that had to be 2006. Um, maybe earlier than that. Yeah. 2005 or six back in the day. So yeah, we had this food journal and we were, we got graded on it. So it wasn't like an optional thing. It didn't affect me. I don't really think I just kind of was like, Oh, this is interesting. And then I started to know like, Oh, people do this. So that was my earliest like exposure to dieting. I think my actual earliest thing, this wasn't about diets, but it was Justine, you will probably remember this. Our mom had this thing in the kitchen. It was like a little statue kind of thing, like a little tchotchke. And it said, eat, 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 fat, fat, fat. She put it like in front of the kitchen sink sometimes. Yeah. I like have a very distinct memory of where it was. So that wasn't really about dieting, but. Is there ever like that adolescent like fear for you of being bigger or were you just dieting to do it? Yeah, I, there wasn't, I, I feel like I just kind of was exposed to dieting, but I was never really like, I, I never wanted it for myself. I'm sure we'll talk about this in your interview, but we, Justine and I were on Nutrisystem one summer. I think it was just a summer, right? One summer, three months, three awful, awful months. Yeah. And so I was on it because Justine was on it. Like I, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Nutrisystem sounds good. But I felt very blase about the whole dieting thing. I was never really serious about it until later years. 
it kicked into gear in college for me. So I felt after those first exposures to dieting, I felt pretty normal until even a few years into college. Normal meaning I didn't really care about tracking what I ate and I exercised a little, but like nothing super strenuous. So college, there were all these external forces that were telling me that I should be on a diet or that I should gain the freshman 15 or whatever. Like the freshman 15 idea was just out there and people talk about it. And so you're like, well, okay, cool. That's just like what you do in college. You drink a lot of booze and you eat a lot of ice cream in the cafeteria and people were kind of glamorizing the freshman 15. I don't know if I gained any weight. I never weighed myself in college until later. We'll get to that. When did you start like actually knowing what you weighed and weighing yourself? It was like my senior year of college. I just didn't have a scale. I was kind of doing all these dieting things, but I just never bought a scale or had a scale. So it wasn't accessible to me. And then I finally bought myself a scale, that lovely gift that one buys themselves my senior year. So basically what happened was like, I just started to take all these people's opinions and let them finally sink in. Like I was a third major. So everybody was really obsessed with their bodies and going to the gym and doing these cleanses and shreds and I actually had a professor who told me that I had to get plastic surgery if I wanted to get any jobs. Oh my God. So those were some pretty strong influences, as you can imagine. I just remember, I don't know what year of college this was, but you were living with a roommate and you guys like would joke about lean cuisines for every meal. Yeah. Building up to that, even like my first few years of college, I, I lived in the sorority house. So food was kind of decided for you. The cooks cooked for you. And so I didn't really have a lot of control around food with that, which I think was a blessing in disguise. But then when it really started to dawn on me that I wanted to be dieting was when one summer, one of the girls in my sorority went on Weight Watchers and she came back and she was way smaller and everybody was like, oh my God, she looks amazing. So I was like, okay, well then this Weight Watchers is like the key to all of this compliments and people talking about how amazing you look. And that was kind of my first introduction to it. But since I was still on my parents' dime, I felt weird signing up for it because I was like, oh, they'll see the credit card bill of Weight Watchers. So I started to do like the poor man's Weight Watchers. I, I did all these weird crash things. Like there was this one thing called the cleanse. It's ridiculous stuff. It's seven days and you eat like all vegetables one day and all fruit one day. And then there's one day where all you eat is bananas. I don't even remember. I was like, I think I lost five pounds. Like I was so clueless, just wacky stuff now that I'm looking back on it. But I felt like I was so desperate to have something where I could be like, oh, well, I'm doing this cleanse. Is it like a social thing? Yeah, kind of. I also, I did want to change my body, but I also was pretty confident. Like mm -hmm. I really liked how I looked and I was kind of like feeling myself throughout college for those first few years. The, the biggest moment that really kicked off my dieting journey, I hate to call it a journey, my dieting, my stint of dieting was my senior year of college. These two girls in my sorority were getting married at the end of senior year. So they were all like eating lean cuisines while we ate normal stuff. And anyway, that was kind of like, okay, cool. They're doing this thing. Um, <laughs> so we should. 
And so then my closest girlfriends and I had this spring break trip planned. So everybody was like, okay, spring break bod, we're all going to do this. So we all kind of like collectively, I think that's when I actually joined Weight Watchers for the first time. I joined in January or something and spring break was in March. So I drastically lost weight from January to March. I was also going through a really bad breakup at the time. So it was kind of like this, I'm going to have a hot bod for spring break and my ex is going to be so jealous and stupid stuff like that. So I lost a bunch of weight and then came back from spring break and started an awesome relationship with my now fiance. And so I kind of, after that, I kind of became a normal eater again for a little while. Mm -hmm. I just, I have to go back to the social thing because it's so different than what I've ever known or experienced, but you all, you all went on Weight Watchers together, like a group of you, and you were able to talk about it. Yep. In my experience, diets were always like this big secret. Like we never talked about it. Yeah. For me, it's always been something that I've bonded with people about. Really? Yeah. And since that moment where I started Weight Watchers with a group and we talked about it, it just felt normal. Like that felt like the conversation to bond with your girlfriends over, mm -hmm. like how bad you were being or how good you were being or what you were eating. I felt like that ended up being the majority of the conversation. That's like the story of my whole dieting life was connecting with people about it. Interesting. And also kind of being surrounded by it, I'd guess too. Yeah. But you then get together with, can we name the fiance? Sure. You get to get together with Ben and it's post-college and you're kind of coming out of this like really intense diet, but starting to eat normally. So what happens then? Graduating college and going into the real world was very difficult for me. I just kind of had to like do it on my own. I had to get the job and figure it all out. As I mentioned, I was a musical theater major with a second degree in HR. So it wasn't really easy to find a job. So I felt a little out of control in my life. And so then I ended up going back to dieting, but like the poor man's dieting because I was making no money. So I wasn't back on Weight Watchers, but I did start to do all the calorie counting and all that crap. Was that your first introduction to calorie counting? Yeah, using it for myself. I'm sure like in high school when you had to do that PE book, you kind of like got an idea of it. Yeah, high school was my first introduction to it, but the first time I actually used it with the intention to lose weight was after college. You can edit this out if you want to, but like what number did you kind of like hover around? My right number was between 1,200 and 1,500 calories a day. I think I, st I stayed more on the 1,200 range because those free apps say, how much weight do you want to lose? And you tell them, and then they say, well, how fast do you want to lose it? And you tell them, of course, you want it as fast as possible. So they give you this super unhealthy number, which you're like, well, the app told me that's got to be right, right? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There's so much they don't calculate. Yeah. So I kind of started back up with that. I was pretty serious about it, but this was a moment in time where I didn't have that community of people to commiserate with. I moved away from my friends and I was kind of on my own working this new job, working two jobs actually. So I was just kind of in it on my own. It seemed to work. It wasn't like my most serious dieting moment. So that wasn't that wasn't like the peak of your dieting. No, I just remember it was kind of part of my life, but there would be days I didn't track and I just I wasn't in that constant beat myself up about it stage then. It was there, but it wasn't my identity. Right. Were you keeping track of what you weighed or was that like not a problem either? Um, I think I had gotten a scale by then. Yeah, I think I did have a scale and I was 
but I wasn't weighing myself daily. Like I couldn't tell you what I weighed around that time. I feel like it was kind of a slow build. The next big one that I can think of that I did was the, if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, he's like a very prolific entrepreneurial guy, kind of known for experimenting, like pushing his limits, doing these kind of crazy experiments with his own body and with his own lifestyle. So that should have been a key. Like this is a very extreme thing, not a way to live your life. And that wasn't counting. That was just like good foods, bad foods. Yeah. You can kind of, you can eat as much as you want, which is amazing. You could eat all bacon for every meal if you wanted. So that I was really enticed by that since I had kind of been in restriction mode. So with that diet too, you get um, cheat days is what he calls them, which is like every dieter's dream, you're supposed to have this day where you eat all the foods you've been craving for the whole week, but then you're back at it the next day. So I would like, throughout the week, I would write down, I'd be like, okay, well today I want chicken nuggets and I also want a donut. And I would just like write down all of these cravings that I was having. And I'd have this huge long list so that when Saturday came, I was like, okay, we're getting all of these things. I want it. I want strawberry daiquiris. I want gyros. I want chicken nuggets. Like the list was enormous. And of course, Saturday cheat day turned into Sunday cheat day, which turned into Monday cheat day. It just was never like, I think that's when I gained the most weight that I've gained in my life was because of this super restriction. In the end, with these cheat days that turned into cheat life, there's no way to go but up because you've been restricting yourself so much. I have a question about cheat days and like cheat day mentality. Did you ever feel with these cheat days that you were kind of going into like binges or binge mode? Like, was there any guilt attached to it in that way? Or were they just like your free days? I don't, I wouldn't call it binge mode. Like I've never had any, any moments where I truly felt like super, super bingey out of control. I've always felt very aware of what I was doing and aware of the choices I was making. I was like, I know I want this. I, I haven't had it. Like I could eat 50 chicken nuggets. Why is that my example? Use whatever food you like. The short answer is yes, I felt a lot of guilt. I always was beating myself up for being bad, even though I know I was allowed to. The cheat day was kind of a weird thing because I felt like on Saturday, I was just following the plan. Mm-hmm. But then when it became Sunday and Monday that I was still doing those like cheaty behaviors, that's when I started to feel guilty. And that's when I started to gain weight. That's kind of when the guilt part of this started to come in for me. Did you ever have those days where you're like, oh, I I messed up, so I'm just going to keep going today? For sure. That's, That's what Sunday and Monday cheat day ended up being was just like, Ah, uh, well, we still have, we, we have some donuts in the bag left over from yesterday. We might as well eat them. It's that might as well mm-hmm. mentality. So I definitely had a lot of that going on. I started to realize as I went on with that way of eating, that lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, that it wasn't sustainable. Like I was going out to dinner with friends and I would order a burger with no bun and bacon and no fries. So I would just have like a meat patty with bacon on top of it. That hurts, Elena. That hurt inside. Um, Right. And I know I'm harping on this point, but like, were there any voices like in your peer group or like people around you that when they saw you like doing weird stuff like this would be like, Elena, that's messed up. Or was it just all like everybody kind of got it because you were on a diet? Yeah, I think 
If there were, I didn't, I totally blocked them out. The meat patty thing, I'm remembering one of my friends was like, oh yeah, are you doing slow carb? I did that for a while. Like people kind of recognized it. She knew what it was. So I did feel that kind of like validation, like, oh, it's okay to order a meat patty. And I didn't really recognize any of those voices saying that dieting was negative until a few years later. There's like one example that I can think of. I'll bring it up when it comes up in the timeline. Okay. (laughs) So where are we now? So now I've gained a bunch of weight and I'm sick of this meaty, salty diet. I was just recognizing that it didn't work. So I was like, okay, one thing I know that did work was, drumroll please, Weight Watchers. So I joined back up on Weight Watchers. I was so desiring my body that I had before. And I, I, th- I think this time that I joined up, I, it was with friends again. There was that community around it. In fact, I was like a Weight Watchers preacher, evangelist is the word I'm looking for. Mm. I feel like I got so many of my friends on it because I was just shouting from the rooftops how amazing it was. I have a lot of guilt about it now. And I've apologized to people who I converted to Weight Watchers back in the day. And I've just had to give a heartfelt apology because that is something that I feel so awful about. It was something that ended up being so destructive for me that I look back now and I just can't believe how much I talked about it and how much it consumed my life. How long were you on it? Do you know? I think it was probably about three years. That is a, that's a, decent chunk of time. Yeah. And I wasn't on it like that entire time. I would have a few months where I'd go off of it again, but then I'd gain a little weight and I'd be like, nope, I've got to get back to Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it went for me. I never did the in-person stuff because that was more expensive. And I felt like I didn't really need it. Like that felt like it wasn't for me. I d- ended up doing it eventually with friends again. Yeah, I did it too because they've got that lifetime status where if you reach lifetime, then Weight Watchers, lifetime basically means you, um, whatever, you reach your goal weight and you maintain it and then you get Weight Watchers free forever. You did reach that right? I did, but I kept pushing it up and up and up and up as I was struggling to get down to the number I thought I should be. I just kept being Mm. like, oh, well, you know what? I'd be happy if I hit lifetime here. And then since Weight Watcher is free, I'll just keep losing weight, Um, which didn't end up happening. Spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) I do have one question. Sorry to interrupt. But what was your relationship like with exercise during the Weight Watchers time? I've always liked exercise for how it feels. I've and anytime I've tried to do it in a punishy kind of way, I last like a few weeks. Mm-hmm. There's this one um, girl on Instagram who has a very popular app for exercise. It felt like a diet too, actually. Like I would get on it. And I would be like, okay, this time I'm actually going to do the 12 weeks. And then I would do like the first week and I'd be like, fuck this. That's just like not the kind of exercise I enjoy. I like walking. I like yoga. I like dancing. Like I like Pilates. I like more soft movements. So yeah, I've had on and off, like all throughout those dieting years, I would try and do that. And then I'd give up and then I'd just walk. There was one time where um, I would just walk around my house. Like my house kind of had a, it was small, but it had this living room that opened up into the kitchen and dining room and I could walk in a figure eight around it. I'd come home from work. I had a really cool schedule. So I got home from work at two 30 at the time. 
So I'd have the house to myself and I'd put on sex in the city or something and then just walk like power walk around my house. But I was all about that step counting as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The 10,000 steps is a pretty, I don't remember the word. It's a number that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it's so funny that that was the number that was said one time and then it just became everybody's number. Right. For some reason. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Weight Watchers story. I just wanted to know how they treated movement for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of lost my weight from cheat days. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to a comfortable place with my body where I felt comfortable and beautiful, but then I still remember that it wasn't enough. Like I was at lifetime. So I was at my goal weight technically, but I still remember seeing pictures of myself with a double chin, even at my smallest size thinking, oh my God, I can't believe I have a double chin in this photo. Right when I hit this goal weight, I traveled to Spain and we took a lot of photos, of course. And well, in the, in the moment I was thinking about still trying to look really good in these photos and pose in ways that made me look skinnier and just all this stuff that I don't think about anymore. And I, I just can't believe that at my lowest weight, I was still so worried about how I looked. In the end, it's not, it wasn't about the weight loss. I thought it was, but it totally wasn't. I didn't recognize that. Then I do now, pretty sad that I was still so unhappy. I was getting myself into this rut. We talked about the guilt earlier. So by the time that I had reached this goal weight and I was still really unhappy with how I looked and I still wanted just that next 10 or 15 pounds that in reality was probably totally unrealistic. Like my body was not meant to be any smaller than that, mm -hmm. but I was just so yearning for that, that I was still just killing myself over Weight Watchers, like following the points, following the plan. But I got to the point where my, my pattern and my habit was being really good Monday through Friday and then just totally going crazy on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So by the time Friday night rolled around, I was going to drink all the sugary cocktails. I was going to eat whatever the hell I wanted because I was like, I have been good all week. I deserve this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my Weight Watchers ended up fizzling out was that I was just so unhappy every Monday morning. I had a great time all weekend allowing myself to be free and eat and drink whatever I wanted. But then come Monday, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. It got to a point too where I was really proud of how I was doing it. I was like telling people, well, I'm maintaining my weight by eating really good during the week. And then I just eat whatever I want on the weekends. Mm. And it became this point of pride. And the, the, the voice of reason was actually my boss at work and Weight Watchers had become my identity. So that was like how I connected with people. That was what I talked about. That was just like how I knew to exist in a conversation. So I was talking to my boss about it one day and he was like, yeah, I did Weight Watchers one time a while back and I lost a lot of weight, but my family and friends started to tell me I looked sickly. They thought that I was like really sick. And he basically, in a appropriate boss kind of way, said, you shouldn't be doing this. You look fine. Yeah. Anyway, that, that was in my head. That was probably, that was the only person I recognized as saying, maybe this isn't such a good idea, mm -hmm. but everybody else in my life was totally affirming this way of living that you have to punish yourself with what you're eating. Like you can't have the things that you want 
food wise. So I feel like that's kind of the end of the, the where the diet ends and where my crash and burn and aha moment begins. <laughs> so tell me more about that. I feel like your boss kind of planted the seed in your mind of like, this isn't great. Was that the pivotal like snap moment or was there something else where you were just like, I've got to stop this? Yeah, he he planted the seed. It kind of got buried again. I didn't really think about it again. I, I feel like I ended up coming to the conclusion that this was not a good thing on my own. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day, it was a cold January day and I was going to a baby shower for a friend at this wonderful Italian restaurant. And I, I just remember thinking, okay, well, it's a weeknight. I still have to be good. So I am going to eat my veggie soup at home or whatever I had. And then I'll save up all my points to just drink wine at dinner. Like I couldn't have pasta and wine because I thought that would be totally too much to handle. I knew the pasta at this place was wonderful. I knew I would quote unquote just let myself go or be out of control if I let myself have it. So I'd given myself the extra points to have two glasses of wine and we got there and then people were like, Elena, why aren't you eating dinner? And I was like, oh, I already ate at home. And then I ended up drinking like three or four glasses of wine. Yeah. So I should have just had some damn pasta. Nothing else to do when you're not eating but to drink. Been there. Right. I think part of the realization came to me because I was doing something else that feels kind of more unhealthy, like alcohol it gives me more of a red flag than food did. Yeah. So I was like, I just drank wine for dinner. That's not good. Yeah. And so that kind of led me to this, well, why did you drink wine for dinner? Because you were restricting so much. That's not good either. That was the turning point for me. And I still was like kind of on Weight Watchers for a month or so after that, but I I was a lot more lax. I kind of wanted to give in to feeling more normal around food. Mm -hmm. And the real like absolute game changer moment for me was seeing this girl, Ariel, on Instagram. She was a Weight Watchers influencer. So of course I followed her, you know, she used to post all of her Weight Watchers recipes. She posted a lot about her weight loss. So then I was following her and I saw she posted about this book called Intuitive Eating. And I was like, huh, that seems cool. Like I'd had my, my baby shower wine realization. I'm more open to, there's gotta be another way. Mm -hmm. I cannot be on a diet. I cannot be on Weight Watchers until I'm 80. Yeah. Like I really thought that that's what my future was going to be, that I was like, I'm just going to be doing this restrict all week, binge all weekend thing until I get so old that I don't care what my body looks like. And then I can eat whatever I want, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is so sad. I'm laughing because I'm just thinking about the end game when you're like, like Phyllis in the nursing home, finally eating a slice of cake. Oh my gosh. And if, if I didn't reach this point of knowing about intuitive eating and learning that I can eat normally. I think I would have still been there. Like I might have lived out the rest of my days just dieting and on Weight Watchers. So I'm really glad I didn't. (laughs) So she posted about intuitive eating. I saw that my library had it, got it like the next day. And I read it in like a day, cover to cover. It spoke so directly to me. Mm-hmm. It changed my life. Not to be dramatic, but it totally did. No, I get it. Because I feel like when you reach that point 
in dieting. Everything in intuitive eating makes so much sense. Like you can go down the list of identifying factors and just be like, that's me, that's me, that's me. Or at least that's how I felt. Yeah, totally. The whole book, like I thought it was written for me. And so I was like, wow. And that's when I started to get introduced to the language, like restriction, like, uh, duh, of course I've been restricting myself this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, I could cry. That book (laughs) was so wonderful for me. So after that book, did you just dive straight in? Did you just go for it? Yeah. So I, I finished the book and I said, I'm never weighing myself again. I'm never dieting again. And that was probably like March of 2018. Wow. Were you scared at all? I mean, I feel like you're going from a person whose your identity was Weight Watchers. So I feel like this switch would be kind of scary. Yeah. And it was, but the book talked so much about, it addressed the, the fears. It said, you know, it's likely that you'll gain weight as you're bouncing back from this extreme restriction. And they talk you through it and they say, it's not forever. There's no way that you're going to want chicken nuggets and donuts for every meal, every single day. You can let yourself have them if that's what you need. But after a while, you're going to want some damn vegetables. Yeah. So I just kind of had, I feel like I just had this trust, like a blind trust in what they were saying and it ended up working out. Yeah. You said February of 2018? Yeah, it was like February, March. That baby shower was in January, and then it was like a few weeks until this, Wow. until I read the book. I kind of wish I remembered the day so I could have an intuitive eating anniversary, but I don't. We can make one up. Um, but you also kind of had an unorthodox, like I would say, first couple of years. For the listeners who don't know, Elena traveled for a year, about a year, a little over a year. How long was that after your kind of aha moment? And what was that like with intuitive eating? Yeah, once I had my aha moment, I I knew that we were going to be traveling at the end of that year. Part of me was like, well, thank God, now I can eat whatever I want while I'm traveling. That was something I was so excited about because I love food and I love good food and trying things from all over the world. So that was just like a huge weight off my shoulders, knowing that I'd be able to just do whatever I, I wanted while I was traveling. But the, the journey up to that was kind of, I don't know, that was like the rockier part of intuitive eating. With such extreme restriction, you basically refeed yourself. So the months leading up to our trip at the end of 2018 were kind of the harder parts of intuitive eating for me because it's it really is a journey. I feel like you kind of have to take these steps, or at least I did. Everybody's journey, everybody's story is totally different. But for me, I was restricting so much by the end of my stint with Weight Watchers that I just like, anytime I saw a picture of a donut, I would have to have one. Like I would go home from work and pick one up on my way home. Like, so I just had these super intense cravings. So when you move into the intuitive eating space and you let yourself learn to eat normally, you kind of go through this process of consumption is what I call it. I I made this commitment. I'm going to not diet again. I'm going to never step on the scale again. And so I was fully committing to that. And my first step was to just like consume in all the ways. So one of those ways is with content. So I read intuitive eating and I immediately unfollowed all of the super um, unhealthy accounts that I was following, like 
people who were crazy exercisers or diet Instagram accounts. Like, cause that was where I spent a lot of my free time is scrolling around on Instagram. So if I'm constantly seeing before and after photos and just like all this stuff from my old Weight Watchers persona, I, I knew I needed to like nix all that. So I unfollowed almost all of those accounts. I think all of them. And I started following more body diverse Instagram accounts, people who were bigger than me, people who were smaller than me, people who were, you know, just like starting to see that there are normal bodies of all kinds. You don't have to be this picture of yourself that you think you have to be. You don't have to be this tiny supermodel body. People are living and thriving in all kinds of bodies. So that was really important for me. And I started listening to a lot of podcasts in the intuitive eating space and reading a lot of books. So I was consuming a lot of the intuitive eating content. I really like drenched myself in that world, which was really, really helpful. At the same time, I was consuming all of the foods that I never let myself have. You're refeeding yourself. You've been restricting for so long. You've been saying no to so many things that you need this time to feed yourself again. You need time to not feel hungry. I felt hungry all the time. The other day, Ben and I were talking about the Weight Watchers days and he was like, you were hard to be around. You were always hungry. You're always hangry. And it was difficult to be around. He was just talking about how much better it is when I'm not constantly hungry, which I agree. (laughs) Because at those times you think you're supposed to be hungry. Like I, for the longest time was like, oh, hunger's good. Like hunger means I'm like healthy. Yeah. You totally glorify it. Yeah. I was like, hunger means I'm doing the right thing, which newsflash, it does not mean that. I know. It means you should eat something. (laughs) So just like I was proud of saying, well, I eat whatever I want on the weekends, but I'm really good during the week. I started to take on this new identity of saying, I don't diet. I'm not dieting. And that was kind of revolutionary because like we talked about, it's such a big deal in my social circles to talk about dieting and bond with people over that. So that ended up being kind of like my F you to diet culture. And I've got really proud of it and I felt really good saying that. But the rocky bits of intuitive eating started to happen when I started to gain weight. Mm -hmm. Obviously, after all this restriction, I'm giving myself all the foods I finally wanted and I started to gain weight. And I wasn't weighing myself, but I could feel it. My clothes were fitting differently. So that was the biggest struggle for me was coming to peace with that. And it took a good eight or nine months before I really felt like, you know what, this might be my body now and that's okay. Like I just had to let go of that ideal body that I was clinging on to, quote unquote ideal, what I thought was my goal. That had been my goal for so long that it's hard to let go of it. it and it's still a process. Like I feel like it's really taken me this two and a half years instead of just that first eight months to really finally say, I love and accept my body. And it hasn't really changed. So I gained this weight after starting intuitive eating. And then all of a sudden I just was the same weight. Yeah. Nothing was changing. I was eating whatever I want. I started to become a normal eater. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things is that I really haven't had a craving since I was on a diet. It's kind of magical. Yeah. When you allow yourself to eat things, you don't crave them. Pretty crazy, huh? That's actually crazy for me to hear. Cause like I, 
I still sometimes I'm like, oh, I really need this one thing. And either it's like inaccessible or like I still have like thoughts in the back of my head. Like to think that you could just, you know, be never in that state of need is like kind of crazy. I mean, that's been one of the most magical things. Like I follow all these wonderful food blogs and stuff. And every now and then I'll see a picture of mac and cheese and I'm like, oh, mac and cheese sounds good. Maybe I'll have that for dinner tonight. But if I can't make it or something, I'm not going to obsess over it. Yeah. I'm just going to be like, hmm, yum. <laughs> so that's been, that's been super nice. Ever feel like the emotional healing power of food is kind of gone? Like, I don't know if you ever were like an emotional eater, like, oh, I had a shitty day, so I'm going to have a donut. When you went into intuitive eating, did it change that? Emotional eating has kind of been not applicable for me. Okay. I've had a few moments over the years where I've been like, where I've used it to cope, but even in, in the intuitive eating book, they talk about emotional eating and it just didn't really resonate with me. So that's not been a part of my journey. I know that that's a, a big part of other people's. Interesting. Um, I was just going to say something about weight gain. I don't know if this is relevant right now, but one thing that was kind of revolutionary to me yeah. was that if you gain weight and you don't fit into your diet clothes, you just buy new clothes that fit you and look good on you, Yeah, which I was like, oh my God, of course, I don't have to fit into this shirt that doesn't fit me anymore. During intuitive eating, my body didn't necessarily change, but I just remember like I have these pair of shorts and I feel so hot in them and it's because they fit correctly. Yep. I was always buying clothes that I was like, oh, they kind of fit. They're a little weird in the crotch. And then I felt like I just felt so bad about myself. And then it's like, oh, clothes that fit. Pretty revolutionary. That's crazy. So we've bopped around a little bit, but I had been in that consumption phase and that was kind of the hardest phase for me because I was gaining weight. I was kind of uncertain. All my friends were still on diets, but it was totally necessary. At first, I didn't believe it. I was like, well, I'll kind of still go back to eating the healthy way eventually. And as the time, as the months went on, I forgot how many points things were. I forgot. I don't know. You just kind of like that old identity dissolved, mm -hmm. which was so wonderful. And I just remember too, like in those first few months of intuitive eating, first like year probably, I would put a little oil, not a little, I'd put a normal amount of oil in a pan to cook something with. And I'd be like, wow, I didn't have to measure that in a teaspoon or cooking with butter. I was like, just chop off a chunk and you can use however much you want. Yeah. And I put sugar in my coffee, like real sugar in my coffee. It was just blowing my mind that I was able to do these things that I had demonized for so long. I don't know if this is the right word. I'm like happy for your past self. You know, like the cooking with fats thing is, I think, the greatest gift that you can realize how like freaking amazing carrots taste when you actually cook them in olive oil as opposed to Pam spray. Yeah, nothing tastes good cooked like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm rejoicing for my past self too. So you said it took two and a half years to get to where you are now? Yeah, kind of to complete this arc I've been talking about. So I, I quit dieting. I was in this consumption phase and then I started to kind of fizzle out of that. Like I'd stopped listening to all the intuitive eating podcasts. I stopped following some of the really heavy intuitive eating content accounts on Instagram because I just didn't need it anymore. Like I had gotten to this place where I didn't need that constant affirmation and validation that what I was doing was good and right. And I didn't need the education piece of it anymore. Like I had learned what I needed to learn and I was implementing it myself. So I kind of moved out of that consumption phase and I moved into neutrality. And I don't know exactly when in the two and a half years this happened, but more recently, like the consumption phase took probably like a year and a half. And so then I moved into feeling 
neutral. Like I still love food, but I wasn't, I, I was, I didn't have that amazement every time I put sugar in my coffee or every time I put butter in a pan. I still loved it and I loved that I was able to do it but it just wasn't as novel anymore. I, I was becoming more of a normal eater. Mm -hmm. So those things were exciting, but not like mind blowing. And that's when I kind of started to really accept myself in the body I'm in currently. It took a while and it took lots of waffling back and forth about, should I go back on a diet? Should I not? Like there were so many times that my finger was poised over the download button of a diet app. And I don't know why, but there was just something in me that knew that if I did that again, I was just going to be stuck on this hamster wheel of dieting, gaining weight, dieting, gaining weight, and feeling so trapped in that. I saw this cool um, graphic the other day that talked about that. Like dieting is hard, but it keeps you moving in a circle. But undieting, getting off of a diet is also hard. You've got the ups and downs and twisty turns, but in the end, it keeps you moving forward. Like it was an arrow with all these bumps and twists in it, but it was moving one way. It wasn't in a circle. Even with all the, the worry about how my body looks or, you know, any of those like hard moments, my end goal was always in sight. The end goal is peace. The end goal is freedom. The end goal is loving yourself at any stage that your body's in. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you're in this place where you feel good in your body and you know you're treating your body well, what do you do when you still get those external diet culture forces, if there are any? Like, I know people are still judgy or cruel about like intuitive eating. So what do you do with that? It's been like building a muscle over this whole two and a half year journey. At first, when I would hear friends talk about diets and stuff, I was still wanting to partake in it. I was wanting to be able to bond with them over their misery. <laughs> but I just kind of got more practice. And as I was in that consumption phase, I started to hear people talk about how they handled situations where their friends are talking about their diets or their mom tells them that they look fat in that dress or something. Like I just kind of got practiced at, even if I wasn't saying some of this stuff out loud, I got practiced at the internal talk of that's not for you. That's not where you want to be. I just had to tell myself over and over again that the only way to this free and happy lifestyle that I'm yearning for is to continue to not get sucked back into that. Absolutely. And I know, I know it's probably difficult. I'm just really happy that somehow we kind of found the same conclusion. But my other big question is, if you could go back and tell your first dieting self, whichever one that was, freshman year you or college senior year you, if you could tell them one thing, what would it be? There's so many things. <laughs> um, I'll preface my one thing, if that's okay. Totally. I've kind of moved into this, not kind of, I've totally moved into this self-love stage of my journey. And I'm not just like sunshine and rainbows all the time, but the biggest change in that has been that I'm not striving for one specific end goal, that my goal is just to be happy and to grow every day. It gives me more space to focus on doing things I, I love, like I'm starting to do more art and I'm learning new skills. And like, so to me, this, this self-love piece is the key. And I know that that's a really buzzy word, but to me, it means trusting yourself. And part of that is knowing your body, like knowing what my body wants to eat at this meal that's going to make me feel my best. And part of it is like getting to know your intuition. 
like your decision-making piece of yourself and trusting that. All that to say, the self-love piece is super important and this trust and the journey's not over. Like it's never going to be over, but the end goal is different. It's a journey towards just being a little bit better and a little bit happier every day. So what I tell my younger self is just that life is way too short to do anything or be with anyone who doesn't make you feel amazing. Life's just too short. Elena, (laughs) I feel like I've gotten, I mean, I know we're sisters, but I just feel like I know so much more now. So thank you. You're welcome. I hope I wasn't too um, preachy, but I feel really strongly about a lot of this stuff. And I just think that the world becomes a better place as we all find our joy and stop hating ourselves and hating what we look like and what other people look like. Once that is out of your life, so many other doors open up and it's just amazing. Yeah. A hundred percent. The world is so much bigger than what we look like. Totally. Well, this was a great first interview. I think our podcast is off to a fantastic start. Me too. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So next week, it'll be my turn to be in the hot seat. And I'm just as nervous as I was for today, but I hope it'll be just as good as this interview. But in the meantime, everybody listening, stay healthy, stay happy, eat the goddamn donut, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. The Body Pod is produced by Elena Dorn and Justine Dorn. Our artwork is by Elena Creative and our editing is by Justine Dorn. Our music is by Dano Songs. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Body Pod.